Welcome y bienvenidos to the Gola Gol Bilingual Sports Podcast, the only bilingual sports podcast that you need in your life. I'm Daniel Torres, and here we will connect honest opinions with hard-hitting facts. Aquí el español y el inglés se mezclan en una olla de deportes, desde el fútbol a la NFL to the NBA. That being said, since this is the first episode of the pod, I'd like to give you all a rundown on how things will be going moving forward. I would like to start off with news from around the world of soccer or football, as some of you may call it, then slide into our best bet, and then try to close things off with any dominating story or missing topics that have been going around because I think that's so important to have. I want to talk about one of the most dominating in Pogba, for those of you who are not super familiar with him, was Belgium's dominating striker for a good period of time. And I mean, this man was absolutely a beast. No one could stop him inside the box. And the reason I'm starting off with Lukaku is because, man, he just cannot, and I say this honestly, cannot stop pissing fan bases and clubs off. I don't know what goes through his head. No entiendo exactamente por qué a sus 30 años está actuando como Mario Balotelli cuando él estaba en Manchester City. I don't know because this is a 30-year-old striker who is acting a little bit like a big baby and it's kind of disappointing because if you remember Lukaku in his prime was incredible and the man just dominated any time he got on the ball and in the box you always wanted to say, man, I am so glad Lukaku's on my team and I'm not going up against. And I know there's a large majority of you out there saying, man, this guy's washed. But the reality is that he's not. He's 30 years old. And that's kind of like prime age for a good striker. I mean, look at Robert Lewandowski right now. He's older and he's still producing at a high level. But Lukaku, for some reason, should be up in that name, should be up in that category, but is not there and that's what's really sad because he's uh, he's becoming washed. Even though a lot of you say he's washed, I don't think he's washed because I know he can start playing. But he's surrounding himself with people that are poorly influencing him, giving him incorrect information. And that's even the reason that his own agency has dropped him. And, and it's sad because what I'm seeing right now from Lukaku is the same thing I saw from an NFL player. And I'm talking about Antonio Brown. If you look at the parallels of both of these men, you're going to realize, man, they're very similar. So both of them are freaks of nature. Lukaku in the box, unstoppable. Antonio Brown, give that man the football and man, he's going to give you results. They both dominated for this three to four year window and were the best, the top of their games. Brown was arguably one of the best wide receivers in the NFL for that tenure, while Lukaku was just a monster that could not be contained. You had to have at least two or three guys trying to stop him. And now both of them are actually missing a couple of screws. And it's really sad and really disappointing to see these men realize that their careers are over, that once dominating figures in sports have now actually become these forgotten 
sad stories that people say, don't be like Antonio Brown. Don't be like Romelu Lukaku. And Lukaku's not there yet. And I know Antonio Brown's an extreme case, but he's not there yet, but he's getting there. Because no major European football club will want him if he continues to act the way he's been acting. And clubs right now are being very particular on who they want into their locker room. La trayectoria de Lukaku es la misma que, que tiene Antonio Brown. Y entiendo que O'Brown es el caso más extremo, pero... Ya va, allí va Lukaku. Y eso lo, lo más triste de todo. Because at the end of the day, when you have players that are so dominant like this, that nobody wants to touch, you begin to put everything into perspective and say, man, this is just really unfortunate because he is one of the best. So that's that's a little bit on, on Lukaku and how much that's kind of been disappointing me. And I think I want to shift gears to something I heard recently, and this goes to something that's very important and it's been going on in world football. I'm talking about the Saudi takeover. And, and I say the Saudi takeover because Saudi Arabia has been buying more and more European players and then taking them over to their league. Recently, we had Tony Khan. And if that name sounds a little familiar, well, that's because he's the son of Shad Khan. He's also the co-owner of All Elite uh, Wrestling, the senior vice president for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he is a media mogul in a sense that he has uh, the media networks. And of course, he runs Fulham. And he was recently asked in an interview, I'm not going to dive deep into the, the comments of exactly what he said, but he talked about how Saudi Arabia is really coming in and trying to take away all his players. Let me say that I got to give that man his applause because the balls that Tony Khan has to be able to say the things that he said my God, I mean, if you're not a billionaire, you can't say those things. But the reason that he can, well, it's because his father's a billionaire and he's a billionaire in a sense. So, but what I want to dive deep into is not what he said, but where it's coming from, right? Because I think Tony Khan is scared. And the reason I say that he's scared is because he knows that Saudi Arabia is coming in here and buying off these unhappy European players, giving them massive contracts, essentially luring them away. And in an, on the surface, it doesn't seem like something terrifying. It's something you're like, okay, well, who, who cares? These, a lot of these players that are getting are washed. There's more to it because I want you to think about it. If I'm a prime player that is scoring 30, 35 goals in the Premier League, and then I see Jordan Henderson being offered $700,000. How are you not going to say, well, I deserve that. Why don't I go over there? And if Saudi Arabia hears that, guess what happens? They're going to go out and they're going to buy you. And he's scared because this means that the EPL League and other leagues around the world are going to start pulling back. And I say pulling back, not in the sense that they're going to be pulling back the resources, but having to be more conscientious about how they distribute money who they give these big contracts to because if they don't, Saudi Arabia is going to come in and it's going to take those players that are unhappy, those players that don't want to be there, those players who are asking for larger wages and say, fine, I'll go play for Saudi Arabia in two, three years and, and I'll be fine. And I think that's what scares Tony Khan and I think that's why he made those comments. It wasn't more because oh, I think I have to compete with Saudi Arabia or, you know, I'm trying to put them down. No, no, no. He's, he's doing it because he's trying to protect his league. He's trying to protect his investment. And let's be real. He put a lot of money or his family did 
into Fulham. And for them to lose one of their best players and being afraid that they're going to get lured away, I think that's a very telling sign that you have to protect your investment and you have to do everything you can to make sure like, hey, like this is what I'm doing. I don't know if Tony Khan truly believes what he said in full principle. I applaud him for saying it, but I will say that I believe that he said it because he's trying to do self-preservation rather than stand up for for the, you know for individuals rights and you know talking about protecting investments and growing into investments i think we need now need to talk a little bit about you know what's going on here in america and i'm talking about the league's cup because liga imx and liga uh and the mls are finally gonna start off in this brand new tournament and i am super excited for it and the reason i'm just so excited for it is because it's a tournament in the middle of the season. It's a very exciting format that we haven't seen in a while. And I think it really puts us and positions us in a way to help grow both the MLS and Liga Emekis. So for those of you who don't really understand this competition or haven't read about this competition or know about this competition, I'm just going to give you a quick little rundown. And then I think I actually want to dive deep into the actual tournament and some of the teams in there. So... These are 47 teams that are be, that are going to be competing. 45 are going through a group phase with LAFC and Pachuca moving to the next round automatically because of their performances in last year's competition. Por la suma directa de sus puntos respectivos al torneo, Pachuca y LAFC van a estar en la siguiente ronda sin tener que jugar. It's a little unfair considering LAFC isn't playing the greatest, but I mean, what are you going to do about it? And the key thing about this tournament that's very interesting is that there are no draws. Essentially, what occurs is that in the event of a draw, both teams receive one point, but then go into a penalty shootout where an extra point will be given to the winner of that penalty shootout. So winners after 90 minutes are given the three points. And there are four regions in here. You know, we've got the West with three teams of three. And I'm going to explain this one because this one's a little weird because every other region has four teams of three except for this one i don't i think it's because there's not enough teams to go around so central has four teams of three south has four teams of three and the east also has four teams of three the only one that's a little off is east, but that's mainly because there's not enough teams so it's a pretty straightforward competition and i think we need to start looking into the favorites in each region so in the west the west has a really good group of players and i and a group of players group of teams, and I think the one that's going to be probably the strongest out of all of that group is going to be Monterrey. Not Tigres. I know some of you are saying, well, I thought Tigres was going to be like the best. Ah, not necessarily. And I know you're asking, pero por qué el, tri, el, pero por qué el Monterrey y no los Tigres? ¿Por qué el Monterrey ahorita está jugando muy bien? Está, está estableciendo su fútbol muy impresionante. Están moviendo muy bien el balón. Tienen muchas cosas que lo están llevando a otro nivel. Por eso el, el Monterrey ahorita sobre los Tigres. They're top of the league y siempre tienen una energía constante de presión. Entiendo que muchos quieren hablar de la América, el Chivas, pero el Monterrey es un equipo que tenemos que tener en la mira, especialmente en este territorio oeste, porque es uno de los más fuertes de este torneo. The other teams in the West that are, of course, pretty strong, I'm going to say, are Tigres and León. MLS team on here isn't as great. It's kind of like, uh, you're okay, but there's nobody that I would say, man, pops off the page. But I will say, one of my sleepers in the West is 
Seattle to go far in this competition. The reason for this is because in only three of their games this season, they have lost a possession battle. Seattle navigates the ball extremely well and often lets you beat yourself, which is why I think they're a very dangerous team. They're one of the best teams in the league in terms of pass accuracy. Their biggest flaw, unfortunately, is their shots on target. Man, I don't know why, but Seattle is so bad when it comes to shooting on target. They're really terrible, guys. So with that in mind, I want you to keep an eye out on Seattle because Seattle is very, very dangerous. Now, moving over to the Central, this is the region of death. If you're watching the League's Cup, you need to watch the Central Division game. Este es la región de la muerte. Y lo digo porque no sé quién va a salir vivo de aquí. Porque es uno de estos torneos donde todos los equipos pueden salir adelante y pueden ganar. On paper, all the teams competing in this division can ideally come out and win. If a couple of things fall their way, man, forget about it. This is going to be a dangerous, dangerous group. My favorite to actually come out of here is a little bit of a toss-up and it's between FC Cincinnati y las Chivas Rayadas de Guadalajara. Perdón, yo sé que no iba a hablar tanto de la América y las Chivas, pero they're ideally one of the best teams in this division. Ironically enough, both of these teams are playing somewhat of a similar style in their game and I really can't differentiate which one of these will have the biggest impact. To put it into perspective, I'm going to look at one of my favorite stats and that's the non-penalty expected goals per shot, also known as the NPXG slash SH. Essentially, as the name indicates it's how many non-penalty expected shots you're going to have. And the reason I bring that up is because FC Cincinnati last season was shooting at 0.12. Que significa? Essentially, it means that you're shooting extremely, extremely well. To put this into perspective, Manchester City in the EPLE, they had the exact same number. The only difference is that this stat can't be used by itself because it's going to give you a skewed number. Because if you start saying, oh man, FC Cincinnati and Manchester, uh, Manchester City are shooting the same, that, that's perfect. While it's technically true, it's not fully accurate. You have to look at other stats minus goals, minus expected goals, and non-penalty goals minus non-penalty expected goals. And that will give you a better indicator. But overall, Cincinnati tends to shoot pretty well. And I think that's why they're one of the most dangerous teams. ¿Y cómo comparamos? Las Chivas disparan una aproximación de 0.08. Y si lo estamos comparado a otros clubes de la liga inglesa, el que puede ser más similar es el Wolverhampton, que terminó la campaña en décimo tercio, tercio lugar. Y como les expliqué, este dato solo no te da mucha información, pero es bueno para saber y ver dónde pueden mover las cosas. Pero no nos indican exactamente cómo están jugando. But both of these teams are playing extremely well, and these shooting stats kind of go with that. They they show what's going on on the field. So in this group of death, the other teams to keep an eye out are América. Sorry, I know I said I was going to talk about America, but you kind of have to not push them aside. Nashville, I really like Nashville. They're really, really good because like I tell you, this group is just so dynamic. And finally, St. Louis. And the only reason I did, I really didn't put St. Louis as one of my favorites is because I just don't trust you, St. Louis. I'm really, really sorry. You're a lovely club, great energy, and an amazing, amazing fans, but I don't trust you. I need to see more from you before I can get on the bandwagon. So until then, I have to leave you out of my favorites, but I really think that 
that St. Louis could do some damage, especially if they don't go out and win the MLS Cup. I think the League's Cup could be a great tournament. You know, you're having your inaugural season. This is an inaugural tournament. Why not? Why can't you take it all in? So before we jump into the South region and, and we start navigating into that, I think, you know, we're about in the middle of the pod and I'd like to jump into my best bet because my best bet is Inter Miami versus Cruz Azul over two and a half goals. Por que me gusta esta apuesta? It's simple. Both of these teams are playing absolutely awful. I mean, terrible. Some of the worst soccer I've ever seen. And I'm telling you to go over two and a half. Explain why in a minute. So Cruz Azul ha perdido tres de sus últimos tres. Yes, you heard that right. Cruz Azul has lost three of their last three games. And in that time period, has only managed to score one goal in the process. Cruz Azul is doing absolutely awful. And the numbers get worse from there. Their combined XG or expected goal for those three games is 1.9. They have not had a single game where they have had an XG over one. I just want you to think about how hard that is. That's really, really bad, especially if you're shooting awful or not shooting at all. And to put that into context even further, they've taken 33 shots since the start of El, of El Torneo Apertura. And from those, four shots had an XGOT or an expected goal on target of over 0.10 or 10% of being scored, which means most of their goals had a 90% probability of being stopped by a goalkeeper. And of those four shots, only one had an XGOT of over 25%, which still means that they had a 75% chance of being stopped by the goalkeeper. I know what you're all thinking. Están pensando, these numbers are awful. Y este vato está completamente loco. But get ready to hear Inter Miami's numbers because they are not better. So Inter Miami has not won in the MLS regular season since May 3rd. 13 and that was a 2-1 victory over New England Revolution. Think about how awful that has to be. Desde entonces el Inter Miami ha jugado 11 partidos y nomás ha empatado 3 y ha perdido 8. How do you lose 8 games and only draw 3 in 11 games? That just it really doesn't seem real and how terrible you're playing. Let's look at Inter Miami's Drake calendar and his current stats because he's got a negative 2.19 goals prevented stat for the season. What does that mean? ¿Qué significa eso? Well, essentially it means how many goals you prevent per match based on the quality of shots that you have faced in XGOT. That means that unfortunately for Calendar, he lets in approximately two goals per match. For context, FC Cincinnati's goalkeeper has prevented 1.84, which means he stops 1.84 goals per match. And I will remind you that all this is a stat that can be a little skewed because it doesn't talk about the quality of the defense that the goalkeepers have had. But man, he's not doing great. And, and that's what's really sad and it's really unfortunate because Inter Miami is struggling. Yeah, ahora sí, you can all officially call me crazy by telling you to go over two and a half. And most of you have already probably hit the unders based on these stats, but I'm going to tell you calm down because you all know what I'm about to say. Who is going to be making their debut? That is 
Lionel Andres Messi, the GOAT. He is going to be making his debut with an Inter Miami jersey against Cruz Azul. Do you all really believe that Inter Miami is going to let Messi's debut be spoiled by a 1-0 scoreline? Guys, it's not going to happen. They're going to give everything they can to win this match. Y Messi por lo mínimo, mínimo va a clavar un gol. Pero al mismo tiempo quiero que piensen. ¿Ustedes piensan que el Cruz Azul se va a dejar? ¿Se va a dejar que Messi salga con las suyas que les gane 3-0-4-0-2-1-2-0? No. El Cruz Azul va a hacer todo en su poder para por lo menos mínimo clavar un gol. And this is what I'm trying to tell you, that this game, because of Messi's debut, because of the pressure on this, it's going to have an extra goal. It's going to have goals because the MLS, the Liga MX, and the League's Cup in general do not want to have a boring match known on Messi's record. They just don't want it. So both teams are going to try their best to avoid humiliation. And remember, you only get one point if you draw. You got to go out there and you got to get the win because if you're not out there getting the win, well, guess what? That means you're going to be out and about. You're going to be out and then you have to go to PKs and then at PKs, it's basically a coin flip. They don't want that. They want to win this in the regular 90 minutes. So that being said, my best bet again is Cruz Azul versus Inter Miami over two and a half goals. That's going to be playing on Friday. That's going to be playing in a in a great stadium. The energy is going to be electric. I know the ticket prices are out of this world. Keep an eye out on that game over two and a half goals. So now let's go back to the division we were at. We were talking about the South. And one of the things that's amazing about the South is that the food is delicious and the league's up for the taking here. Anybody can come out on top, really make a big impact and, you know, know this is one of those regions that's just tough to quantify because there's no one true real threat because it's very difficult to really figure out who's going to be the top dog out of all of these and the only one that I can really say is it's Atlanta United everybody else is kind of an enigma really just trying to show up trying to show their part do their best so I I really want to say that Atlanta United is probably my favorite. And I know they're middle of the pack. But if you recall early on this season, this team was a roller coaster. They had a few bad games, followed by some good wins, then a draw fest. Their numbers are not bad. They actually have a positive non-penalty gold minus expected goals of plus 9.5. That's a really great stat to have, especially for someone that's really trying. So for comparison's sakes, that's that's 7.6 higher than FC Cincinnati. And FC Cincinnati sits at the top of the league. And in their last five games, they've all had positive numbers trending in the same direction. So that's why I'm telling you, Atlanta United is probably one of the best teams to kind of keep an eye out and watch out for. And I know some of you are already screaming and saying, well, Inter Miami has Messi. You just talked about how Messi is going to score like three goals. Yeah, but we need to kind of stop. Por favor, hay que parar. I'm not too sure how they're going to play overall as a whole, as a team. Because remember, there's 21 other players on the field besides Messi. So how is he going to be able to consistently put this team on his back when the players around him are not playing so well? So I, I just really don't know how that's going to go. But, you know, the other teams to kind of keep an eye out are... 
FC Juárez, because I think that's a sleeper. Ahorita andan jugando increíble. No lo puedo creer que están arriba de la Liga MX. FC Dallas is always dangerous. And, you know, Inter Miami. Always got to keep an eye out on Inter Miami because they've got to go. Which is, I want to say, my Necaxa is going to do amazing and conquer this tournament. The reality is, I don't know how they'll do. They're in an easy group, but it's a tough task. And every team here has a possibility to make it to the next round. And that's what's very interesting about this division. So moving forward to the East, and this is our final division. Man, the East is a beast. There's plenty of teams here that can give you an upset, which I think is one of the best things. That's not nearly as stacked as the Central Division, but the teams here, you got to kind of be aware. You got to keep an eye out on them. My favorite team in this area is New England Revolution. If this team takes this tournament very seriously, they're going to probably won't be one of the most dangerous to win it all. This team started the league on fire. For the first seven games, they had all positive goal minus expected goals and non-penalty uh, goals. And that's just a really good stat to kind of keep an eye out on. My other favorite is Philadelphia. The only reason that I don't have them higher is that New England is because their numbers aren't as favorable as I would like. On the pitch, they're doing a lot better than the numbers suggest. Out of the 23 matches that Philadelphia has had, they've only had eight matches where they shot on target over five times and have only had four matches where their shooting on target percentage has been higher than 50% and that's equal to New England Revolutions but it's less in, but it's overall less impressive numbers. Overall, I'm telling you this league's cup's going to be very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be really really good. I think we're in for a tournament that's going to have a lot of drama, unexpected upsets and just get ready porque no sé cómo va a salir, no sé quién va a ganar este torneo, no sé quién se va a llevar la copa, pero de que va a estar interesante, de que va a estar bueno, de que va a estar la salsa picante, este sí va a estar. So pónganse listos. I think one of the last things I kind of want to close on before we let this pod go on a little too long is let's talk NFL. Y vamos a hablar de una posición que últimamente ha perdido mucho valor en los últimos años. Y es la posición de running back. Right now, we have a lot of talk and a lot of discussions going on on the running back market. And how things are going. Because we have the likes of Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, and Derrick Henry trying to prove their value in a market that no longer sees them long-term. And that's kind of unfortunate, right? Nobody ever wants to be viewed as replaceable or seen as you're not valued enough. And that's kind of what's sad. But the league right now as a whole views running backs as... I can bring on anybody. Anybody will do. Let's go. And ironically, one of the best parallels that I can kind of showcase you in our everyday society is that of a construction worker. I know what some of you are thinking is, why a construction worker? Because oftentimes these men and women, hombres y mujeres, que hacen este trabajo que nadie quiere hacer, very hard, it's a very heavy and exhausting job with conditions that are often very miserable. Some of these men and women are working in over 100 degrees in the summer and below zero in the middle of winter and can have homes to live in, roads to drive on, and buildings to work in. And they do it all for minimal pay. And I really want you to see how a lot of these running backs are doing it. I'm not saying that running backs are getting paid like a construction worker, but I am saying for the level of risk that they're putting their bodies through. Very similar. And I really want you to ask yourself, does the pay that these men and women have to endure fare compared to the level of risk? Y la respuesta is no. They deserve more porque la construcción es a buena chinga. If you've ever worked construction, if you've ever been around construction, man, you know, esa sí es una buena chinga. You are busting your ass. You are get your body's exhausted when you come home and it's hard. And going back to the NFL, the level of pay that these players are getting is not fair compared to the other positions. 
once again, it sucks because they're the ones putting their bodies at risk. They're the ones who are making more sacrifices and they're not getting that. But I know what some of you are saying, well, what's the solution? What do we do? Because if you pay them more than the cap, then it's all out of whack. Well, I think I've come up with a little bit of a controversial solution to it. And I think it starts going back to the position that kind of broke it all. I'm talking about the foreman or in this case, I'm talking about the quarterback. The simple solution that I want to provide is that the quarterback gets their own separate slash dynamic cap that only counts towards 10% of the overall cap. That way you have more money to spend on another position. But hold on, here's the catch. You only do it for one quarterback. I don't want you to say, well, I'm going to have my roster loaded with Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. That's not going to happen. No, you can only do it for one. The backups that you have, well, guess what? They're going to still be in the regular cap with the rest of the players. And I can hear some of you saying, oh my God, what is this guy on? What do you mean we're going to have a separate cap? Why are we going to do something like that? Why should we give special treatment to quarterbacks? We can't do that. And I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why can't we? Why can't we give preferential treatment to QBs? Because technically we already do it. They have special rules to protect them. They get preferential treatment from fans, coaches, and even refs. And we're told that they're more valuable than every other position constantly. You hear it on every show. Everybody's talking about, oh man, well, the quarterback's so valuable. Oh, if we don't have our quarterback. So why can't we create a separate slash dynamic cap that only affects 10% of the overall cap and give them more money to the rest of these other players? Because think about it. It's not a bad idea. Jump on this crazy train with me for a moment, okay? You know the salary cap for 2023 is about $224 million. We also know that historically Super Bowl winning quarterbacks take about 10.6 to 12.3% of the cap. And this is according to Adam Thompson from bookies.com. So feel free to check the numbers on that. But historically, anywhere between 10 to 12%, that's what wins you a Super Bowl historically. But if we create a separate slash dynamic cap for a QB that only affects 10% of the overall cap year after year, we will have more money to spend on other positions. And I know what some of you are thinking, 10% of 22, 224 million, well, that's about 22.4 million. The average franchise QB gets paid anywhere from 30 to 50. Why would they want to lose out on money? They won't. Remember what I said, separate and dynamic. So for example, say you have Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to pay Patrick Mahomes 22.4 million. He's worth way more than that. That's why you work out a contract with him that's deemed fair. It's off with that price, right? But at the end of the day, whatever contract and deal that you work out with them, it only counts as 10%. So that means the owners get to navigate that that conversation. They get to have it, but they now know that it's only going to affect 10% of their cap, no matter if they give them 55, 60 million, whatever they want to give them. But again, this goes back to the saying, it's only going to be for one quarterback. So the guy that gets injured, that's it. That's on you. The guy that becomes a bust, again, that's on you. Make sure that whoever you give that contract for that's only going to count for 10% of the cap is your guy. And that's why I'm telling you, you have to stay with it. And I think the other thing I wanted to say is that during the duration of that contract, they can't get out early. And it's not like a lot of GMs and NFL teams want to get out of their QB's contract out early. They don't. And I think this is what really would help out because teams will like it because they can surround their athletes with more talent. And that means the quarterback's protected more. You don't have to sacrifice star players in other positions. And you get to kind of get a bigger piece of the pie because now you have more fan love 
And a lot of these players are loving their running backs and they can hold on for their players longer. So I I genuinely think this is a win-win-win. And like I tell you, I think at the end of the day, we need to stop viewing running backs as just these regular guys that are very disposable because this league needs them. The game as as a whole needs them. And you're betting on them. You're watching them. You're, you have player props on them. You have a vested interest in running back. So the minute that running back position goes away, well, guess what? A lot of those bets, they're gone. A lot of those points totals, that's gone too. And it's going to affect you. So this is why I think we should care. I think we should have a little bit of an opinion and not just from that financial stake point, but even from a personal, because these men are like our construction workers that are busting their butts, that are putting their bodies on the line and all for minimal pay compared to their other predecessors and even compared to their other colleagues. So with that, I think I'm going to wrap up and I just really want to thank you all for your time and attention. Es un placer tenerlos aquí y hasta la próxima.